today. Um, this morning, we're going we're gonna to take a look from the book of Psalms, if you want to turn there in your Bible. Psalms chapter 37. Psalms chapter 37. Beginning in verse number 3, it says, trust in the Lord. Boy, that'd be a good place to stop right there. If you stop and took trust in the Lord, if I were to take those, God could give me enough messages right there to preach the rest of the year. You don't need anything else. Some of you have been dealt a bad hand in the past couple of weeks. I know you. you. You dealt some problems. You've been through some serious heartaches and some troubles. Life has treated you unfair. People around you have treated you unfair. Some of you have been through blessings. Some of you have received some, some great news in the past couple of weeks. It doesn't matter up, down, high, low, inside, outside. Trust in the Lord is a message within itself. Everything in our life ought to revolve around trust in the Lord. But boy, could you make a message out of the next three words and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Anybody see that? Anybody already have that underlined in your Bible? If you don't, you might want to, because I want you to understand, it, it doesn't talk about needs, necessities. It doesn't talk about bread and water, food, air in our lungs. Those are things that God supplies. It says desires of your heart. That means things that you just want. You don't have to have them. They're not life-sustaining. There are some things in life. Matter of fact, there's a lot more things in this life that I want than I need. Anybody say amen? I got a whole lot of want-itis going on in me. God takes care of my needs, but he says right here, take care of my wants too. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light, and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospereth in his way, because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil, for evildoers shall be cut off. But those that wait upon the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. God desires a relationship with you and I. God desires a personal, one-on-one -on -one relationship with you. God wants to bless you. God wants to give you the desires of your heart. He literally wants to open the windows of heaven and pour you out blessings. It is his desire to give his children, and that's who we are. It is his desire to give his children the desires of our heart. But he is not going to be your genie in a bottle. He is not going to be your magic lamp. He is not your wish is my command. He's not looking for the kind of relationship that most Christians want to give him. God, I'll be there in the morning to take a moment of prayer to tell you everything I need for you to do today. And when I get done, you just take care of business and I'll be on about mine. God is looking for a loving relationship. The kind you want with your children like she just talked about. Cherie just talked about the, the family, the family relationship. That's what God is looking for out of us. What people want out of prayer is they want to tell God everything that they want. And expect God to just provide it. But they don't want to do anything for God. What God wants out of the prayer is the relationship with his children. I want to bring a message this morning. Very simple. Love letter or to-do list. God, thank you so much. God, I thank you for your overwhelming presence in this place. Oh, God, I've missed it so bad. <laughs> God, I've missed feeling this feeling, feeling the presence of your children gathering, feeling the presence of your Holy Spirit falling in a place in a building, feeling your presence overwhelming to where I can barely speak without crying. God, thank you so much. Thank you so much for letting me be back in this house. God, I pray you'd help us today, Father. I pray you'd bless us. I pray you'd strengthen us, God. I pray you'd teach us, Father. I pray we'd walk out a better servant. 
Thank you, thank you, thank you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I did learn a new appreciation in the past two weeks. When you guys were healthy and happy and had to sit home for 12 weeks of church during COVID and the doors were closed and you didn't get to come, see, I didn't have to experience that. I had to experience you not being here, but I was the only one that got to be here every day. I put me in that camera right up there. And, and Larry over there, but, but what I knew in my heart is you were there. I couldn't see you, but I knew you were there. I never had to miss a Sunday. I don't know how y'all survived 12 weeks. I watched last Sunday. I told Brandon I watched last Sunday my arms folded. I was mad. I was mad about not being here. I'm glad I wasn't. All honesty, it was, it was a PR. But I know of seven church members right now that have COVID that I've heard about this week. And all it took me to have been here and they just swore you got it from me. And I promise you didn't, I had it. And I don't want it. God, in his infinite grace, I mean, God in his unmeasurable mercy. If you ever tried looking at your life and measure the amount of mercy that God has bestowed upon just you, God in his unmeasurable mercy, in his bountiful kindness, in his never-ending love for you and I, God wrote us a love letter. He, he wrote this book just for you and I so that every morning we can open it and we can read it and we can hear from the breath of God. Do you understand? He said that holy men of God were, were spake as they were moved upon by the Holy Spirit. That means every time you open this, you literally are looking at the breath of God. Breathe in words just for me, just for you. This, this is God's breath breathed unto you and I. The prayer is communication. The problem in our prayer today is we want to give God a list of things that we need and we want to be on about our business. But prayer is a two-way street. There's some times to speak up and then there's time to shut up. Be still and know that I am God. Let God speak some things. Let God direct some things. Let God guide some things. Let God heal some things. Let God show some things. Let God point which way he wants you to go to work today. We want to pray while on the way out the door and pray in the car going to work. God might have needed you to go to work a different way today. He might have had somebody that a mama had been praying for about salvation that he needed you to go that way because they were broke down and God was going to do something special in you today. But we got to take time to listen. Prayer's a two-way street. So if we were to sit down, if we were to sit down in the morning and write down our prayer, fold it, put it in an envelope, seal it, and leave it there for God, when God opened my prayer, would it look like a love letter or would it look like a to-do list? I don't know, men. Some of you probably like me. I don't do to-do list. I must be the only one. Or either y'all sit with your wife and you ain't got the brass to admit it. Robin and I dated for six and a half years before we were married. She was a sophomore in high school. I was a senior in high school. We went through college and a whole lot more before we got married. Been married six, I mean, been, been together six and a half years. And you'd think after six and a half years, you'd know something about somebody. But until you get married and move into the same house, you don't know diddly. <laughs> now, I am a work in progress. We have been together for 41 years now, and Robin's still working on me every day. But there was two things that I needed to work on with her, and we got both those out of the way early. Number one was don't clean off my desk and throw away anything that belongs to me. I come in, my desk was cleaned off, my stuff was moved, I couldn't find nothing. It may look like an unorganized mess to you, but it is organized confusion to me. I know exactly where it is, exactly where it's supposed to be, so it didn't take us but a minute to learn, don't throw away nothing that belongs to me. I'm not a hoarder, I just want to keep my stuff. And the other one was, I don't do to-do list. I got up to a to-do list one day, and she came home to a pile of shreds as small as I could possibly tear them up without a shredder. And I told her, you want something done? 
You want, you want the yard done. You want some flowers planted. You want me to build a deck. You want me to do something around here. Make your request known and leave it alone. Because, see, I, I want to get up. And at the time, of course, I moved mobile homes to live my whole life. I want to leave at 530 in the morning and go. And not long after that, you're going to get in your car and go to work. But what you don't know is I was just doing a little old 14 by 70 that day. So I was going to be home in just a little bit, about 11 o'clock. And that's the day when you don't know nothing about it. And I'm going to get all the flowers. And I'm going to put rocks out and make a walkway. And I'm going to do all the work. And you're going to come home and be so proud and so excited. And I wanted it to be a surprise for you. But don't give me a to-do list and then come home and done me because I didn't do it right. Those things just don't work out for me that kind of way. See, I don't think God wants to be the recip recipient of my to-do list. I don't think God wants me to meet with him in the morning and just give him a list of, of my requirements. Here's what I know. I know that it is God's desire. I know that it is God's perfect will to give me to give you the desires of your heart i know that it is god's perfect will to to sit down and talk with you and i build a relationship with you and i hear our request be able to use us to do things but i do not believe that god has any desire to be my handyman I don't believe God has any desire to, to be my little genie that I just rub my bottle and I expect him to pop out and that everything I want done to be done by the end of the day. I do believe this. I do believe if I'm living right and I'm doing right and I'm studying right and I'm worshiping right and my relationship is right, I do believe that I can ask God for some things and they may well be done by the end of the day. They may well be done immediately. Then again, God knows best, so I may have to wait a little while because he's wanting to teach me something. But if I have a perfect relationship, then I know that it'll be answered in God's time. Communication is a two-way street. If we want God to be bound to bless us, then we have to be bound to obey God. If we want to, God to be bound to bless us, then we have to be bound to be a willing vessel. The Bible refers to us as sheep, and the Bible refers to us as, as a vessel. You understand that a vessel has no real control over what is put in it. Amen. And a vessel has no control over where it is poured out or whom it is poured out on. Sometimes God may ask us to carry something that we'd rather not carry. Go ahead and raise your hand if you've ever had to carry something you really didn't want to carry. Sometimes God, as a willing vessel, may ask us to carry something that we really would rather not carry, but here's the really tricky part. He may want us to pour into someone that we really don't want to pour into. Somebody go ahead and say a Baptist hallelujah right there. I don't like them. I don't want to do nothing for them. Sometimes God may have a specific place that he wants us to pour into someone that we really don't want to pour into. It is God's desire to give his children the desires of their heart, but there are some requirements. Our text says, trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. To trust in the Lord is to put our complete confidence in him and only him. We like the last half of those. I'll give you the desires of the heart. But the first half, we can leave that out, delight myself in the Lord. Uh, we like the, and he shall bring it to pass, but not that commit thy way unto the Lord. Albert Barnes in his commentary says on verse number three, he says, do good. Be engaged always in some work of benevolence. If there are wicked men in the world, which there is, if wickedness abounds around us, there's the more reason for our endeavoring to do good. If others are doing evil, we should do good. If they're wicked, we cannot do a better work than to do good to them. For the best way of meeting the wickedness of the world is to do good. 
It's amazing I was studying that because it really goes hand in hand with Wednesday night. We were in Romans chapter 12, verse 14. says, bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. Weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dear, dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. That was Wednesday night. Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, said in verse number 4, Love your enemies. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. Pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you. That ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good. And sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love them which love you, what reward have you? Do not even the publicans do the same. Our text says, trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. Albert Barnes, his commentary goes on. It says, the best way to keep the mind from complaining is to always be engaged in doing good. Somebody just said, huh, what, 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 wake up, wake up. You need, the best way to keep the mind from complaining is to be always engaged in doing good. To have the mind always occupied in something valuable and useful, each one should have so much of his own to do that he'll have no time to murmur and complain to allow the mind to prey on itself. So shalt thou dwell in the land. That is to abide safely. When it was written to the Jew, it was written in reference to the promised land. The story didn't end there. God gave you and I the same message, same word, same book. So for you and I, it, it is to dwell in the land that God has so bountifully and graciously blessed us with. Anybody thankful you were born or you at least now live in the United States of America? In spite of all of its wickedness, in spite of this pathetic government stuff we got going on, I am thankful that I live in this country and that God blessed this country and that God has used this country. I'm thankful to be a part and live in this land. Barnes says the idea is that they should abide there calmly and securely. They should not worry themselves because there are wicked men upon the earth and because the wicked were successful in worldly things, but they should be thankful for their inheritance and partake gratefully of the bounties which they receive from the hand of God. God is just looking for somebody to bless. Can I plug this in for free real quick? God's not sitting up there like a mean old judge with a long white beard looking down to see who he can persecute. God is looking down at the lost, weeping over him, wishing he could put the drop of blood on them because there's rejoicing in heaven when one sinner comes to repentance. God is looking down at his children, just wanting them to get the relationship right so that he can open the windows of heaven and pour a blessing out on them. That's what his word says. God told us in his word it is his desire to give us the desires of our heart. Malachi chapter 3, prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I'll not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. It's right there in the book, but there are some requirements for that. One is obedience. One is faith. God, when, when he had this part of the letter written, this is written to the Jew, written through the hand of Malachi, but it's written because of their disobedience. He says in Malachi chapter 3, verse number 7, Even from the days of your fathers ye are gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. That means you're breaking the laws of God. You're not doing the things that are clearly written. You're not doing what you're supposed to do. God says you're not keeping them. He says, Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. Then he says, But you said wherein shall we return? So God said, you're the ones not keeping the requirements. 
I want to bless you. That's all I want to do. I'm looking to open the windows of heaven. It's my desire to, to bless you, but you're the one who's run away from me. You come back to me. You turn back to me, and I'm right here. All I got to do is open the window. But he said that the people asked, and how is it that we're supposed to return? See, I believe God could have used a multitude of examples right here, just like he could with the United States of America. When, how, what do you mean we need to return to you? I think God could have opened a whole different can of opportunities right here, but he answered them with this question. Will a man rob God? Yet yeah, you've robbed me. You say, where have we robbed thee? God answered the question in tithes and offerings. Here's what he said. You're cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. See, God knows that where you put your money is where your heart is. There, there may be a lot of things you'll let go of, but money and possessions ain't one of them. Now, here's something I need you to understand very quick before you turn me off. I, I'm not preaching on tithing. I'm, I'm, I'm not preaching about money or anything about it. People, as soon as you mention tithe or offering or money, people want to write you off. There it goes again. They're always preaching about that money. Always wanting money. Can I, just, can I just be straight up honest with you and just tell you something right here? I don't give a flying two cents about your money. I couldn't care less about your money. What I care about is you. I don't care about what you give. I care about what you get. I just happen to know the word of God enough to know that they go hand in hand. So I, I, if I want you to be blessed unmeasurably and God open the windows of heaven, I got to tell you some secrets that are associated with it. So I, I don't care about money. God is going to take care of this church with you or without you. This is God's church, surely. Surely you don't think you got so much money that God has to have your money to be able to fulfill what he wants to do. Surely you don't think that you're so poor that what little bit you could do, God can't use. Have you ever read that story about the widow woman and the two mites? You know, the one where they were putting bags of gold, unloading donkeys and camels with bags of gold, and she put in two mites. And then Jesus said, she's put in more than all of them for out of her poverty. She put in all that she had, but out of their abundance, they put in a portion of. Anybody remember how much two mites is? I preached on that. It's a fourth of a penny. A mite is one eighth of a penny. She put in two of them. So she put in an eighth of a penny, and God says she put in more than anybody. It's because she put in from the heart. So I, I, I'm not preaching on tithing. I, I'm preaching on God's blessing. The world tells you. The world tells you get all you can get. Take all you can take. Store up all you can store up. God says give all you can give. Pour out all you can pour out, and I'll bless you with more than you can imagine. We, we live in a world that is fully persuaded by the devil. One of the greatest lies that the devil uses in our lives is about money. That's the one place that's just hard to let go of. The devil wants you to believe that you can't afford to tithe. The reason he wants you to believe that is because he knows that is a commandment of God. And if you break a commandment of God, then you live in a disobedient life to God. And if you're living in disobedience, then you cannot get the fulfillment of the promises of God. And he wants to keep you disconnected and out of reach of the personal relationship. So if he can find one area to get you to disconnect, he's going to do it. And that one just happens to work well. He knows that when we rob God of the things that he has commanded us to do that's just the first step in getting us to fall away see here's the deal if you can deliberately write off one law of God then you'll find a way to deliberately write off another one and if you can find a way to write off two laws of God before you know it you'll be writing off three laws of God and before you know it you'll start paying much attention see the devil knows that to experience the blessings of God we must be fully obedient to God. Can I tell you some of the greatest damage done to Christianity is by Christians claiming one thing and living another. Talking one life and living another life. It's very damaging to, to those who are trying to reach the lost. We will never be fully obedient until we fully trust God. We have to be a people 
of faith. The reason we don't do things according to the word of God is simply a lack of faith. We look at finances and we say, well, there's no way I could afford to tithe. Well, there's two reasons for that. Number one, we're living beyond our means. We're spending every dime that we make plus everything plastic will allow before we ever get the paycheck. So we're already spending the first 10%. We're already spending what belongs to God before we ever even get paid. That brings us to reason two. God can't bless those who are living in disobedience. Why is it so quiet in here? I'm so excited to be back. Let me ask you something. If you were murdering a person a day, would you expect God to bless you? Why? Because he says, thou shalt not murder, thou shalt not kill. If you were committing adultery every day, would you expect God to bless your home, bless your family, bless your marriage, bless your life? Why? Because he said, thou shalt not commit adultery. If you were being mean to people, mistreating people, being rude to people, being disorderly to people, if you were being a bad neighbor to everybody around you, a bad co-worker, if you were treating people harshly, would you expect God to bless you? Why? Because he said, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. So so if, if you wouldn't expect God to bless you by breaking those laws, what makes that any different from the laws concerning tithes and offerings? What makes that any different from the laws of being a willing vessel that he might put in us whatsoever he would have us carry? If you went to the bank and you robbed a bank, you went in, they're closed, and you got into the vault, and there's money everywhere. And you had two bags because that's all you could carry, and you put all the money you could in the bags, and you carried them out, and you didn't do a good job of covering, and all they had to do was watch the video, and now they have pictures of you getting it and pictures of your car. They know exactly where you live. And the day after you robbed the bank, the, the, the authorities showed up on your doorstep. Would you expect them to be showing up and Mr. Yancey, I'm sorry. Your bags wouldn't hold but so much, and all this money was left in the vault, so we were just bringing you the rest of it. Mr. Yancey, I'm sorry. We can see you're obviously on hard times because the bags you were using to rob the bank had a hole in it. And and this money fell out as you were making your getaway. So we just wanted to bring it back to you and accept our apologies that that it fell out of the bag. And, And we just wanted, why were we act surprised when God doesn't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that there be not room enough to receive it when we rob God every single week? It's just a question. I mean, you either obey every law or you obey no law. To break one law of the Word of God is sin. Sin is sin. We like to put them in bill. Oh, that's murder. He's bad. Oh, that's adultery. That one's awful. What about that little white lie? Why is it called a white lie? I thought a lie was a lie. It's a green lie. It don't matter. It's either the truth or it ain't. But, but it's breaking the laws of God. But, but we like to categorize or level them when God just says sin is separation. So why do we want to divide those things out? Why are we surprised? Again, I'm not preaching on tithing. I'm just trying to get you to see God desires to bless you and I. God's waiting on us. God wants to prove himself to us. He says it right there in his word. Prove me now herewith. The word prove comes from the Hebrew word. It means put it to the test, investigate it, examine it, prove it to yourself. This is the one time in God's word that he says, put me to the test. Put it to the test. Give it your best shot. Try it. See if I'll not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. Here's the problem with too many Christians. We think that that means if I give someone a $100 bill, I'm going to get back a buck fifty before the day is over. We think that that means if I pay my tithes and and I give to missions and I take care of missionaries and I give offerings to programs that the church is doing and I give to the benevolence to try to help the poor and the needy, if I do my tithes and offerings, then I'm going to have millions in the bank. That is the farthest thing from the truth. 
See, what you think is, well, if I pay my tithes and offerings, and that means I'll have so much money in the bank that I can easily pay all my bills. No, what it means is that when you pay your tithes and offerings and you put God first and there ain't nothing left in your bank, your bill still gets paid and you can't do nothing but look up and know it wasn't nobody but God because God's the only one make a way out of no way. And you know you didn't have the money. You know you didn't have the resources, but it showed up just in time. That's what serving God is. It's not about hoarding up and piling up. It's about trusting up. It's about just trusting to do everything. Only God can make a way out of no way, but it's posted right out there, Matthew 6, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. God has to be first. Paul's letter to the church at Galatia, chapter 6, he wrote in verse number 7, says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Y'all got a few more minutes because I ain't done. I want to open another can while we're here. Y'all good with that? I'm through with tithing. Y'all can wake up. Y'all come on. Call whoever you know out. They call them. Tell them to turn me back on. I'm done with it. Turn it on back on. We're going to move on to something else. The, the fact is, if you want to know what you're going to reap, it's a very easy forecast. Just take a look at what you're sowing. Whatsoever a man soweth, that also shall he reap. If you want to know what kind of crop you're going to get, then look at the kind of seeds you're putting down. I mean, if you are sowing to the flesh, then we're bound to reap corruption. If we are sowing to the things of God, then we're bound to reap the promises of God. That's not what the world will tell you. That, that's not what the devil wants you to believe. The devil wants you to believe that serving God is wasting your time. The devil wants you to believe that, that serving God is wasting your money. The devil wants you to believe those things because he wants to separate it. He knows that when you are obedient to the commandments of God, then living, you're living in the faith and the fullness of the things of God. He knows that God will open the windows of heaven according to his word and bless you, and the devil don't want that. He wants your life destroyed, your family destroyed, your home destroyed. He wanted you destroyed. He wanted you to die and go to hell, but thanks to the blood of Jesus, that ain't happening. So we're children of the king, name written down in the blood of Jesus Christ, never to be erased. Nothing can take it. Nothing can steal it. Nothing can keep me there. But he can rob you of your blessings in this life. God, man, listen, God has some great things in store for the eternity. Amen. Anybody excited about the mansion and, and, and the gates of pearl and the walls of jasper and onyx and the streets of gold and the crystal river and the crystal sea and the presence of God Almighty and all the saints gathered together in one? I'm excited about some things that's going to happen over there. But God don't want you to wait till you die in this life to get to the blessings of God. God has blessings for you now. God has some things to pour out now. God has some fulfillment now. God's looking to use you now. God wants you to do some things now that he might give you rewards in heaven for it. But the devil knows if he can keep you out of the will of God, he can keep you out of the blessings of God. In farming, there's some simple laws. Whatsoever you sow, that shall you reap. Man, if you go over to a bunch of ragweed, go to pulling some seed off and getting it off, all you're going to get is the sniffles and a sinus infection. And if you sow that out in your garden, why would you expect to go out in the harvest and get some corn and some peas and some okra and butter beans? If you're sowing weeds, why would you expect to get a good fruit? If you're sowing trouble, why would you expect to reap kindness if you're sowing discord among the brethren why would you expect to reap god's peace if you were sowing hate and discontentment why would you expect to receive love and contentment what you sow is what you reap it's a very simple process it doesn't take rocket science to know it now the second law in farming is this if we want to reap anything, we got to get busy sowing something. If you sow nothing, it'd be foolish to go out in the harvest and expect to reap something. So we know, number one, we got to get busy. We got to prepare some soil and we got to get some seed in the ground. It's got to be some good seed. But can I tell you, there's a lot more to it than just getting the seed in the ground. Where my daddy at? Oh, you back down where you're supposed to be. You've been all back yonder. I know about three times I look over there this week. His, his garden's over there across the garden. He's over there tiller. Steady pushing on that thing. See, that keeps the soil turned up. 
That keeps things broke up so that the roots of the good plants can grow. That keeps the weeds churned out from in between it. It's not a once and done process. It is to put the seed out. It is to water the seed. It is to work on it. It's not once and done. Neither is life. Get up every day, read your Bible. It's not come to church on Sunday morning, go home, and that's enough. It's not watch once on live stream, maybe catch a little song or two. It's serve God every day. It's read God's word every day. It's pray and listen every day. It's let God lead God and direct our life every day. We are to do good unto others daily, every day. It's not a once and done. It's a total commitment to the Lord. So a third law in farming is this. We always, always, always reap more than what we sow. Can I tell you that's true in good and evil? That, that's why that old saying, sin will take you further than you ever wanted to go, keep you longer than you ever wanted to stay, cost you more than you were ever willing to pay. That's because you reap more than you sow. But the same thing is true in the things of God. If you put a kernel of corn in the ground, what's it going to do? It's going to grow a stalk. And it's going to grow ears of corn. And there's going to be multiple ears of corn. So you get lots of corn. You put a pea in the ground, it's going to grow a bush. nearly about the size of that. And it's going to make peas and you're going to pick them. And it's going to make more peas and you're going to pick them. It's going to make more peas and you're going to pick them. And see, here's what happens if we're sowing good. If we're sowing good seed, God will multiply what you're sowing. So that when it comes back, you sow that pea into the ground, it'll come back a multitude so that there's plenty enough that you and your family will be filled. So that there's plenty enough that you can share with others so that they will be filled and there will be some left over to plant next year so that the process starts all over again. I thought it'd be at least one amen. If we want to reap a harvest, then we must be obedient in the planting and in the working of the field. That's the process. But once the farmer's done all he can do, all he can do is wait. Amen. Sometimes you're trying hard. You're trying to do good unto others. You're paying tithes and offerings. You're putting in and you just wonder, why ain't it going the way I want it to go? Why are things still going backwards? I'm, tr I'm trying to do right. It seems like it's wrong. You know, once a farmer puts a seed in the ground, all he can do is water it and keep the weeds pulled. God will decide when the harvest comes. God will also decide how much the harvest will be. But what he promises is that there will be a harvest. It, it takes time. All a farmer's job is to do is to prepare the ground and to put the seed in and, and to take care of it and do everything he can. It's even the farmer's job to collect the harvest. Not the harvest of souls. That's our job to go out. That's up to the Lord. We preach the gospel. The Lord is the one that, that collects his harvest. But when it comes into to the farming, that what's being used in this illustration, it's up to the farmer to, to go out and even to gather the harvest. But he has no control over when it's going to come in or how it's going to come in. He's just to do the job. So, so the question, the question for us right now is relatively simple. Are you expecting a harvest? Hmm. Nobody had an answer for that one, so let's move on to number two. If you're expecting a harvest based on what you've planted, what are you expecting? Based on what you've sown in your life and sown into others and sown into the things of God, what harvest are you expecting? Let, let me ask you this. What have you prayed for? If, if you've prayed for something, have you earnestly sought to seek and to serve the will of God and pray expecting to receive that prayer? A lot of times we say prayers, we have no expectations of getting them back. We, we just say them in, in an asking. We wish we'd get it. But number one, I believe in our heart, we already know how many things we're doing against the will of God. He has no reason to answer that. Psalms chapter 5 David has asked the Lord to consider his meditation. He says, consider my thoughts. Consider my prayers. He says in verse number two, hearken unto the voice of my cry, my king and my God. For unto thee will I pray. 
My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee and will look up. Now, if you read the Psalms, what you'll find in many of the Psalms, these are actually prayers written to God. And what you find in these prayers is that many times they start out praising God. And then they get down to the meat of the matter about what they want. But then they end up praising God for answering the prayer that they just asked. And they ain't even got that far yet. Here in this prayer, David goes on. He he says, I'm going to pray to you in the morning. And then I'm going to look up expecting some answers. He says in verse number 4 of Psalms chapter 5. Thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness, neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. But as for me, that's our concern right there. That's our concern. As for me, that's, that's the part we need to focus on. As for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. Make thy way straight before my face. Then he says, for there's no faithfulness in their mouth. The inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. Destroy thou them, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgression. For they have rebelled against thee. He says, God, I'm asking you to destroy the enemies according to your will. By their own counsels will you judge them. They've not rebelled against me, God. They've rebelled against you. Verse number 11, he says, but let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. For thou, Lord, will bless the righteous. With favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield. Psalm chapter 42, the chief musician Meshiel, the sons of Korah, as the heart panteth after the water brooks. That's a deer, kind of like a gazelle, panteth after the water brooks. So panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? In the middle of the passage, he says here in verse number six, O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan, from the Hermonites, from the hill Mazar. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy ways and thy billows are gone over me. He says, I'm covered with troubles. But in verse number eight, he says, yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night, his song shall be with me in my prayer unto the God of my life. Closing statement, verse number 11. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. He opens up with, God, I'm thirsty for you. He prays the enemy is is beating me down. The enemy is ever before me. They're mocking me. They're making fun of me. They're, They're tearing me down, and they're asking me, where is this God of yours? But then he closes with praise. He says, because I know the Lord will command his loving kindness to me. Too many times. We just don't believe we're going to get what we pray for. If we don't believe that we're going to get it when we want it, the way we want it, exactly like we want it, then it won't be right. That's our to-do list. Go ahead and say amen. I'm almost done. Sometimes we, we want God to use us. I said sometimes we want God to use us. But we only want to be used the way we want to be used. I'm okay, but I don't like that kind of drink, so don't put it in me. Don't put that in this vessel. Oh, you you put whatever you want in this vessel, but don't ask me to pour it out on them. Don't ask me to be nice to them. Don't ask me to go out of my way to show love and kindness to them. I want to be used, God. I want to be a willing vessel. Well, let's cover the willing part kind of shadily. I want to be a vessel, but I want to have some say-so in it. God says, no, you're a vessel. I want to be able to use you. So we want God to use us. We just want to kind of dictate when and how he can. See, if we, um, if we were to write down our prayers in the morning and we were to hand them to God, let me ask you something. If you were to get up in the morning and your spouse, your mate, had written you a something, and folded it and put it in an envelope and sealed it. And they left it right by the coffee pot. They know you're going to find it. Ain't no way you can miss it. It's leaned up right by the coffee pot. First thing you see. 
When you open that up in the morning, do you want that to be something that says, I just want you to know I love you. I just want you to know I appreciate you. I thank you for all you do. I thank God every day for putting you in my life. I just want you to know what a blessing you are. I love you. I hope you have a great day. Or do you want to open it to a to-do list? Here's the things I expect you today. But at least on the front of the envelope, it says, have a nice day, right? What's any different with God? What's any different? Why could he look forward to us waking up in the morning? By the way, is he, is he that wakes us up? Is he that held us in the night? Is he that held us while we slept? Is he that protected us and our family? Is he that kept us under a roof and kept the air conditioners running so that it was cold enough we could still sleep under the covers? Is he that did everything? Is he that put breath in our lung, woke us up in the morning? Why is it that when we wake up, would God be excited to know that we're about to wake up because we're about to praise him and rejoice and thank him and tell him how much we love him and how much we appreciate him and thank you for all the blessings that you've done and all the things that you've done and the way you've protected my family and all the blessings that we have and that I slept under a roof last night. I've got a car parked out in the garage. I got food on the table. I got coffee in the pot. God, I just want to tell you thank you. I just want to tell you that I love you. I just want to be used by you today. Show me your will today, God. Show Show me which way you want me to go. Show me what you want me to do. I'll do whatever you want today. I just want to show you how much I love you. I just want to show you thank you. Or do you think when he gets up that he wants us to get up and say, God, here's your list for today. Here's the things I'm going to do. And here's what I expect out of you. I'll be home by dinner and I expect them all done before I get back. Have a great day. I don't want that kind of letter. What makes the creator of the universe any different? Why would the creator of the universe be mindful of me in the first place? Why would he love me so much to put Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross for me in the first place? Why would he love me so much to rescue me from hell and give me a home in heaven in the first place? Why would he erase all my sins, forget all my past, that old things are passed away? Behold, all things become new in the first place. Why would God love me that way in the first place? And then why would he want to have a relationship with me that all I want is me, 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 me? Jeremiah chapter 29. Verse number 12 says, Then shall you call upon me. Let me read verse 11. Let me give you verse 11. This one says, I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. That means I can know the end of my expectations. I can know what my harvest is going to be based on what I've sown. That means I, I can expect the end based on how we met requirements. I can even expect the future. I can expect my eternity. But he says in verse number 12, Then shall you call upon me. You shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And you shall seek me and find me when. See, that's, that's the word we like to leave out. It's the key word in the text. Without the word, the rest of it's meaningless, but we like to leave that one out. You shall seek me and find me when you shall search for me with all your heart. God says, you are my child. I gave you life, and I purchased your soul. I love you. How many of you love your children? You'd do anything you could for your children. You think God's any different? God loves you and I so much that while we were yet sinners, he sent Jesus to the cross that we might become the children of God. Not because we're good enough to deserve it, because he loved us in spite of us. And, and God loves us so much as his children. God has a desire to bless you. God has a desire to open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings on you, your family, your home, your life, that there be not room enough to receive it. But he says, I will not be your genie in a bottle. I will not be your magic lamp. You will not rub me in the morning, give me your three wishes as my command to go about your day and come home expecting to be done. I want a relationship with my children. How many of you want your children to call you up in the morning and tell you what they want you to do for them today, and I'll call you back tonight and make sure you got it done? I want a relationship with my children. I want to be able to sit down at the dinner table with my children. 
I want to be able to talk to my children on the phone. I want to have a, a loving relationship. I want to go and do things with my children. God wants to do the same thing with his. That's why he made us in the first place. God is looking for a family. But if we want God to bless us, it's up to us to read the whole book. Because in that book is all the secrets to life. In that book is every secret to the blessings of God. In that book is the secret to how to earn rewards for all of eternity. But in that book, it also says, be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. And the paraphrase is kind of like signed, I love you, God. If you are holding out anything on God, you know what it is. If you don't, you will, because God's going to show it to you. He don't have me preach messages for nothing. Unfortunately, I mean, y'all, all y'all have to do is get it on Sunday morning. I get it for weeks in preparation. So God deals with things, and I understand how God deals with things. And for somebody, God's dealing with some things. I don't know what it is. It may be ties off, or it may not have anything to do with ties. It may be something he wants you to do, somewhere he wants you to go. Maybe somebody he wants you to call, somebody he wants you to reach out to. I don't know. I don't know. I just know that God has a plan for your life. Before he ever put you here, there's a plan. Before, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And I ordained thee. He told Jeremiah to be a prophet unto the nations. He knew what he'd be before he was ever here. God knows the same about you and I. But we have a process through salvation to become what Christ wants us to be. So if there's anything that you've got in your life that you know isn't right, it's holding back God's blessings. It's keeping God from being able to do everything that God wants to do for you. But if you'll surrender everything, everything. Anybody, how many people can say the word everything? Can you spell everything? Can you say everything? What does everything mean? Same thing as all, kind of like how all my sins are washed away. All my past is forgiven and forgotten. Everything. God wants us to surrender everything to him. Because when we give it to him, it's just like giving him a, a peace seed. All he's going to do is grow it into a plant and bountifully pour it back out so there's enough to take care of us. There's enough to take care of others. There's enough to replant. Amen? Amen. Brother, y'all going to sing a song? You going to get a guitar and pick one? Well, I'm going to let them sing one. You can sit where you are and pray. You can stand where you are and pray. Matter of fact, let's go ahead and stand up. I know y'all been sitting for a little while. Y'all got to stand up and get your legs stretched because we got some groceries to go eat. But before we eat groceries, some of you may have some business you do need to do with God. Maybe you just want to tell him thank you for all that he's already done. God, I just want to take time to say thank you for all your countless many blessings that you've poured out. And God, I haven't been faithful enough to tell you thank you because I've been too, too busy asking for other things. I don't know. I don't know what you need to do. But I do know you need to do it before you leave. Get some things right. Make sure you walk out of here, you walk out of here right with things with God. Because when things are in order, we can expect God's blessings. He promises in the book. Amen. Go ahead, brother.